The music is provided by Calvary Quartet. You can have more of their music at calvaryquartet.com or log on to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com. A Bible called, God called Bible preacher has his hands full because the Bible uh, rubs the cat the wrong way in, in, in any age. You know, you could say, well, years ago it was a little easier in the 40s and 50s, the preaching of the Bible, people accepted a little bit better. And, you know, they were, they were taught more conservatively in a lot of areas. You know, in the 40s and 50s, men were men. Uh, I mean, you know, restrooms were restrooms uh, for, for various ones. And, and, you know, the men were the head of the house. Women stayed home, had the kids, did, et cetera. World War II came along, and the women had to go to work. My wife, my mother was one of them. She went and worked in a uh, uh, factory that made gyroscopes, highly secure area, high, high security. And she made gyroscopes. A lot of the women, because so many men were gone, had to go to work. They just needed them. They called them into the, into the factories to work. Um, and so that was the beginning of women working, by the way. And then once they got a little a taste of how wonderful that was, and most of them didn't want to go back to the other way. And it changed the sociology of our whole country as, as that happened. And so, um, interesting enough, but those people, you know, they're called the greatest generation, book written about them, greatest generation, I recommend reading. Uh, you may agree with the title after you read it. But for in large part of those people accept the Word of God as the Bible. It was pretty easy preaching to them. I found it pretty easy. I preached to them for a while myself. Pretty easy preached to them. They believed it. They believed the Word of God. Whatever it said, well, that's good with me. I'll do it. Uh, as we as a society sociologically drifted away from the truths of the Bible, it becomes more contradictory of everyday life. That makes sense to you. In other words... What once was just Bible and accepted by everybody now is like, that is the strangest thing I've ever heard. How in the world can you talk like that? And what's happening is what uh, Peter spoke of in Second uh, Peter of the resting or twisting of the scriptures has happened. Consequently, uh, preachers, uh, in, in an effort to please the people and not make waves among the people, have literally rested or twisted the scriptures so that it would not be contradictory of their uh, current belief system in many of the areas. I'll get more specific as we go along here. Take your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. What I'm going to preach on tonight is the Bible. You know, whatever, let me say this. Anybody can get up, open the Bible to a passage anywhere in the Bible, and I'm going to sit back and say, glory to God, amen. And if it, if it contradicts what I have been taught or if it contradicts what I believe, I'm going to change what I believe to what the Bible says. I hope that's your spirit. I believe that is the vast majority of the people who are here tonight. Their spirit is if the Bible says it, we'll do it. 
please do not allow the changing wind of doctrine and belief systems to influence you through your lifetime. Stick with the teachings of the old King James Bible, and it'll hold you in good stead all the way to you die. You don't need all the new... You just stick with the old-fashioned... The Bible says the old paths, P-A-T-H-S. Stay with the old paths. That doesn't mean we don't have uh, iPhones and <laughs> we don't have computers at the house. But I'm going to tell you this. What have, what have, what have iPhones and computers done to the society which are using them? Well, how much pornography do you think goes over iPhones and computers? Eliminate iPhones and computers, and those things become a whole lot harder to access. And a lot of times, the uh, I preach a sermon on can we survive accessibility? It's just at your fingertips. And the flesh is already weak in those areas. And then when you make it easy uh, to do, how much propensity do the people have to go ahead and do that? By the way, under every survey I've ever read, Barna and the rest of them, uh, pornography is the number one sin of the average Christian male. It's the number one sin of the average Christian male. When I went to Bob Jones and preached in 205, it was, a couple days at chapel, I preached on um, uh, the subject of, of uh, pornography, addictions of every kind, but one of them was that. The dean of men came to me after the sermon. He says, man, you do not understand how much at Bob Jones University we need that. He says, we are constantly kicking boys out for watching porn. It is one of the biggest problems we've got in our boys, the group of boys. They have some in the girls, but not much. Uh, it's, it's a male problem mostly. And, and uh, he said, it's not, you wouldn't know. You, now, now, really, you go to Bob, you're asked to preach at Bob Jones University, a group of, of, of kids that are dedicated their life enough to where they want to go to a Christian college. They want to serve God. It's not just any Christian. It's a fundamental Christian college. I mean, they believe the fundamentals of the Bible and want to be evangelist. And you would think that that would not be. But I bet it's the same at West Coast. I bet it's the same at Crown. I bet it's the same at any fundamental Bible-believing school because it just represents the society in which you live in, which has been so infected by that horrible wickedness. What has happened and what is happening throughout America and the world, and as maybe every generation comes and goes on it, is the twisting or resting of Scripture. And I want to talk about that a little bit towards the end of the message. Let me establish it biblically, and then towards the end of the message, let me give you some examples. We'll read a couple and uh, just say, you know, if it's the Bible, it's, it's good. I'll, read, I'll do it and read it. Knowing, it says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scriptures of any private interpretation. That is our text verse. Uh, and so I, I will go from there to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. I'm going to explain a little bit about this and go back to that one I read in, in first, 2 Peter 1.20. In, in first, 2 Peter 3.15 and 16, it says, An account that the suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, this is Peter talking about Paul, Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. This verifies, of course, that Paul's writings were of God and that Peter thought Paul's writings were of God. And as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood. Don't feel bad if Peter had a hard time understanding some of the reasonings 
that Paul went through maybe in Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 7, Romans chapter 8, uh, I think, you know, it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be hard for me to say that the average Christian would have a little trouble the first read-through, second, third, or fourth read-through on those. He said they've written some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they also do also other scriptures. And what's the result of that? Unto their own destruction. And it will be no different for you or me or anyone else because God is not a respecter of persons. That if you look at this Bible and you begin to uh, feel uncomfortable with his teachings and you begin, to, you begin to plug in culture to interpret what it says, you begin to plug in what your family belief system may have been, or you begin to plug, plug in your own wisdom and begin to interpret this based on your own private uh, take on it, um, and you, and you, like so many that I meet, say, well, you know, uh, it can say anything. You know, the one scripture is, no, no, no. The Bible is repeatable. The Bible on any, you can take uh, uh, any nation in the world. If a, if a man believes the Bible and has studied the Bible, uh, you can meet with him, and you will agree on 95% of everything you go down. It's knowable. It's, re, it's repeatable. We're 2,000 years away from the apostles, and we are believing the way they believe. And it'll, it'll go on from us by the grace of God. The word rest there in, in 2 Peter 3.16 means to wrench, consequently twist, and it also can have the meaning to torture. Uh, there are preachers on television regularly that are torturing the Scriptures. They're literally torturing the Scriptures. They are so whacked out, so off base, so absolutely pragmatic, and, and that they and we have people just uh, we have them almost on a, on a not a we maybe a weekly basis, but come into us on a regular basis that are that are messed up because they've listened to those uh, TV folks in the quiet of their in their home, and they've reasoned down through those those TV preachers, and they say, well, preacher. That's not what, what you believe. That's not what you teach. And, and this guy sounds good. He sounds smart. He sounds convincing. Why do they, why don't, well, if you sat across the table from the devil, he'd sound smart. He'd sound convincing. He'd sound persuasive. And he would talk like he did to Jesus when he tempted him. What did the devil use when he tempted Jesus? He used biblical phraseology in part wrenching it, twisting it, adding, subtracting. Uh, he is maybe the best teacher beside Jesus, beside God himself. It's Beelzebub, the old serpent, maybe one of the best twisters of Scripture there is. And every religion out there, and every God, that is not, that every false God out there, there is a demon behind it. Leviticus 17, 7, if you want to know about that more. So, we see the word unlearned means ignorant. The word unstable means to be vacillating. Where the Spirit of God is, there is stability. There is predictability. The definition of insanity, in some degree, is unpredictability. If you came up to me one time, Branson, and I hit you in the jaw, the next time you come up to me, I hugged you, you wouldn't know how to act when you're around me. You'd say, that guy is crazy. 
<clears throat> that guy's insane. Why? Unpredictable behavior. The, the, the reason you believe I'm sane tonight, hopefully, is because when you're around me, you get a predictability that should be, by the way, of a born-again Bible-believing Christian. We should have predictability. Peter, in this context, in his text, warns about interpreting the Scripture wrongly, that some are doing it. Some ignorant folks, some vacillating people, are taking it and they're twisting it for whatever reason. The Bible says they heap themselves teachers. They, they want their ears tickled by these teachers, so they just find teachers that will teach uh, they won't teach what they don't want to hear, and they will teach what they want to hear, and they form the teaching of the Bible on their culture, on the present-day belief systems of, of society, and then they call that Christianity. But it's not. It's not. Now I'll go back to 2 Peter 1.20. says, Knowing this first, and no prophecy of the Scriptures, many private interpretation. The word private means pertaining to self or one's own interpretation. In other words, Scripture must be interpreted in a larger sense than just one's own opinion or idea. And that goes for me too. There are rules that guide the interpretation of Scripture. There are rules, these rules are common sense rules, generally accepted rules throughout the centuries that people who love Jesus. Um, one of the major uh, rules of interpretation is that we interpret the Bible in a literal method called also common sense method, usual method, or normal method. Those are all synonyms for the kind of biblical interpretation that we hold to, which has been, by the way, the interpretation since it was written to today that have kept people in good stead. This literal method of interpretation assumes the writer wrote so as to be understood. Duh. A lot of your TV preaching and a lot of your false religions thrive on mysteries. They create mysteries. They make mysteries so that they can explain the mysteries and you send your money in. And then you're following them. When the Bible is, the Bible's not there to create mysteries. The Bible is there to explain mysteries. Um, I think the, recent, the most recent one was just some sort of a code that came up that they said the Bible was in a hidden code and somebody had broken the code of the Bible. And man, they found, and boy, they made some money on that. Trust me, they sold a million books or so. At profit of four or five bucks a book, you figure it out. And and they they had man, they were that thing went in all over the place. The, and I had people come to me. Do you hear the Bible? There's a hidden meaning in the Bible. There's no hidden meaning in the Bible. My God is not a God of deception. The devil's a God of deception, but our God that we worship is a God of light, truth. So. The literal method assumes a writer wrote to be understood as any other type of writing, by the way. Newspaper, you read that way. You read instruction manual to your grill that way. You read your mathematics that way. You read anything you ever did that way. You don't read, hey, this grill, I think that's trying to teach a deeper meaning. Put that nut upon that bowl. That may mean my life. You can make up anything you want past that. The literal method acknowledges symbolism. Yes, we acknowledge it. When we see it, we acknowledge it. We acknowledge figures of speech, 
We acknowledge uh, that these things, however, point to a literal, whether it be symbolic or whether it be figurative, that they are trying to teach a literal reality. Uh, literal method of interpretation is repeatable throughout the generations. It also is testable over a large group of people who read independently of each other, yet come to the same conclusions using the same method. In other words, worldwide. And symbolic or figurative language is interpreted and clarified by its use in other passages. An example of that would be the word light. Normally when we say light, we mean illumination like this, don't we? That's the normal use of the word. However, it is used biblically as a symbol. Jesus and others use it to mean God. The Bible says God is light, illumination. And you obviously know that God is not this thing shining in my face. It's not that kind of light, but it's something deeper than that, something that reveals, something that illuminates, something that... And so you see in John 3.20, Jesus' words, for everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Now, if you say, people, some people will say literal, literal interpretation must mean, you must mean that like light. No, we understand, literal method of interpretation understands symbolism. But it's trying to teach you something in reality. Light brightens. Light reveals. Light uncovers. That's real teaching. And it's repeatable in any generation, generation after generation after generation. And Jesus said, Neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. In John 8, 12, Jesus said, then spake Jesus again, said, I am the light of the world. Now, he didn't mean he was that big ball of fire out there called the sun. But he was the, the one who illuminated you to, the, to who God is, who is light also. You, you understand it. It's an obvious and normal reader in the meaning of light has no trouble understanding that is used symbolically there. Literal method of interpretation assumes the Bible is meant to be understood, and I can't repeat that enough, not to confuse you in its usual and normal appearance. This book is knowable. Now, I'm telling you this. If you, the first time you read through it, you're going to scratch your head a lot. The first time you try to read through this, you're going to go, there's going to be more unknown than known. But isn't that true with anything you've ever tried to learn? Uh, bro, this man, uh, Brother Bill Jackson, shot missiles into space, worked for NASA for years. Uh, when you start studying some of that stuff, you go, whoa, whoa. But as you look at it and study it and go back over it and back over it, what happens? It gets clearer. It becomes, it becomes knowable. It becomes, in fact, as you read this Bible, and you're not, people say to me, well, I've read the Bible once as if it's a one-time deal. You can't read the Bible one time. You read the Bible one time, man. You're just, that's just, you don't even got a clue. You got to read the Bible 20, 30 times before some of this stuff's going to begin to open your eyes and you're going to be able to see it. It's not going to be, oh, I read it once, I'm good. There are over 50, 60 prophecies concerning Jesus in the Old Testament, which were literally, normally, common sense, fulfilled. 
and not one of them was symbolically or allegorically fulfilled. So then if, if the prophecies of Scripture were literally fulfilled, like his beard was plucked from his face, you know, I mean, he was, he was crucified, and all these other prophecies about Jesus, some say there's over 300 of those that were fulfilled around Jesus' first coming. Um, if that was done in a literal, normal sense, then let me ask you why. Why wouldn't the rest of them be that way? Are you with me tonight? If under the first coming of Christ, the prophecies that were talked about him, that he would be born of a virgin, and he was born of a virgin. That it actually happened the way the Bible said. Now, why would the rest of them be so allegorically or symbolically interpreted? They wouldn't. If prophecy has been, in historical sense, fulfilled literally, then the rest of it is going to be fulfilled the way the first was because God's consistent with these methods. Well, let me give you some examples of some scriptures, especially today that we live that are being highly twisted out of their normal, literal sense of reading, okay? Let me just bear with me, and let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, a very non-controversial passage. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. We'll go through chapter 3, verse 2, and you understand, most of you know, that the chapter and verse markings were added later. In other words, they weren't there in the first few centuries. We don't exactly know when they were added. I think maybe 400 A.D. or so they were added. The chapter 4, chapter 2, chapter 1, the verses and all that were added to help you find things. If you notice Jesus, they had opened the scroll, and he said he found the place in Isaiah. You don't give a chapter and verse because there was no chapter and verse. They just had to be familiar enough with the scroll they said maybe three-quarters of the way through the scroll down in the middle there, and there's a verse there. They had to learn that. That was wild. That was hard to do. We have the privilege of having chapters and verses. Wow. We can say go to John chapter uh, 3, verse 16, and you can go right there. My mother-in-law, who got saved 80 years old, learned the 66 books of the Bible, and one day came to me and says, I can find a passage when you mention it from the pulpit. That was big to the old girl. Well, let me read this. this and, and this, you're, you're smart enough. The average uh, reading capability of the King James Bible is a fourth through sixth grade. I think most of you could read as good as a fourth to sixth grader. It says, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. She actually believed when she ate the stuff, she's going to be like God. Adam never did. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved or preserved in childbearing. That means a drace will continue. And they will continue, if they continue in faith and charity and holiness and sobriety. This is a true saying, if a man desire the office. Now, we're, and we're going right on because chapter 3, verse 1, there's really a logic, the, the context of the passage. So he talks about the ladies not having authority over the men in a church setting, right? Talking about the church, talking about why goes back all the way to the Garden of Eden that God made Adam and he made him to be the head over all creation. Then he made Eve and Eve was to be his helpmate in subordination to him and he, she was to help him. Yeah, she helped him all right. Here, eat this fruit. Won't hurt a thing. But anyway, um, and, and so that's, that's all contextual. 
And then he goes in verse 1 there and says, this is true saying of a man desire of a man. And that's just not generally mankind because you'll see why in a second. Desire of the office of a bishop, that's a pastor. He desires the good work. A bishop must be blameless. What's the next phrase? The husband of one wife. A woman has a hard time doing that unless they're lesbian. And, and, and God's against that. He would never, ever, 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 ever sanction lesbianism. He never, ever, 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 ever would sanction transgender. He never, ever, 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 ever would sanction a man marrying a man or a woman marrying a woman. God's example is very clear, where in a normal literal translation, a man was created, then a woman was created for him, and the two became one flesh. What God has joined together, that no man put us under. And the old boy one time I heard say, and never forgot it, God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And so you see that in the context of this passage that leadership in the church, considering being a pastor, and, and in every, every area of theological leadership is a male-driven teaching. We don't make that up. It was accepted that way and has been that way for almost 20 years centuries. So if you're a believer of the Bible in a normal literal sense, you're not going to support women preachers. I told you I was going to rub the cat the wrong way. You're not going to support women preachers. You're not going to say, well, I watched this uh, Joyce um, sad that you know her name, isn't it? Joyce Myers. I'm not going to watch Joyce Myers because I hear, I see Joyce Myers. Do I listen to her? No. I know she's in disobedience in what she's doing. I know that it contradicts the normal, literal, natural sense of Scripture. So do I, do I believe Joyce Myers, Joyce Myers is right, or do I believe this is right? Happens to you every day, of the, every day of the week. I have to choose whether the society I live in is right or this is right. I'll tell you what, I'm going with this. You say, well, you're never going to get a big crowd. Well, don't have to get a big crowd. God never said I had a big crowd. He just said, I got to be obedient. Be faithful unto death. I'll give you a crown of life. That's what God says to do. And we fundamentalists may become more and more unpopular. It looks that way to me because our belief system is becoming more sharply different than their belief system out there, even folks who call themselves Christian. But let me say this. Not everybody that names the name of Christ is a Christian. They have in many ways, as Peter said back in the first century, they have wrested the scriptures already, first century, to their what? That God's going to, oh, it's okay. No, to their own destruction. They weren't saved. They, they wouldn't have done that. They wouldn't rest. The Holy Spirit of God who wrote the Bible is not going to contradict what he wrote. He's not going to be pleased with you if you take what's written there and say, well, I just don't agree with that. Well, who cares what you believe? It's what God said. It ain't about what I believe. It ain't about what you believe. It's what God said. Uh, you know, in, in an honest contextual setting where you have historically um, agree, historical agreement by you know, many centuries, man, I go back and read what the 3rd century people believed and what the 16th century people believed and what the 18th century people believed because I want to know, I want to make sure that what I'm teaching is not some wacko, personal, private interpretation. No scripture is of private 
interpretation. If, if, if some lady rose up in the 1800s and said, I got a vision from God and I'm going to contradict all the 18th centuries before me, she's a false prophet. First of all, she is a false prophet. Or if, if uh, Russell and Rutherford come up in the, 18th, in the 1800s and say, I had a special vision from God, I'm going to create Jehovah's Witnesses. And by the way, Jesus is coming back in 1914. He didn't. And they're liars. If anybody comes up, and, and, and it makes sense of the fact that they come up and there's uh, Armstrongism and all kinds of isms and schisms of these specially talented people that come up and say they got a special gift, a special vision, a special thing that contradicts, you know, 16 centuries, 18 centuries of God's people. Guess what I'm going to conclude? Over 18 centuries of people off, and they happen to be the one with the special insight. That's what orthodox has means. It means to stick with that which is real, repeatable, and has endured time. It's important. It's important. Another example. I mean, I got all kinds of examples of scripture. Well, that was my. Uh, let, me, let me let me let me run over a few things here. One, two. Boy, that's a lot. That's oh, that's good right there. Ooh, oh my goodness, that's just really good. Okay, I'm going to go to this. Let me give you some subjects that people today, prevalently in our time, are twisting. Divorce and remarriage. Gospel Baptist Church may be the only church in three counties that believes that God still wants you to stay married to the same woman for your whole life. And if you don't, and you remarry, you commit adultery. I bet we're one of the few. Why? We didn't used to be. That used to be the common belief of all the churches that I knew when I grew up. All believe that. All the preachers believe that. Why? They believe the Bible. You say you don't believe that. Well, read Romans chapter 7, verse 1 through 3, and tell me what it says. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, verse 38 and 39. Tell me what it says. Uh, read Mark chapter 10, tell me what it says. Read, read Luke chapter 16, tell me what it says. Read Matthew chapter 5, read, tell me what it says. Read, read Matthew chapter 19, tell me what it says, because that's what the Bible says about that subject. But people tried to change it. But I'm not going to change it. I'm just going to believe it. That's what it says. Another subject is the literal sixth day of creation. Man, has that been attacked? They've taken the six days of creation, and they said, those couldn't be, there's no way in the world God could create everything the Hubble telescope is seeing in six days. He's just, they just don't believe that God's that big. They got a little small God, like about that big. My God's big. He inhabits all eternity. He's from one end of the Hubble telescope to the other end of the whatever the Hubble telescope sees out there. I saw a program the other night on the Hubble telescope. It was a tremendous program. I loved it when it went up there and was out of focus. Do you remember that? Out of focus. They mispolished the mirror. Of course, the first question was, why didn't you check it? And they sent it up there, and the thing was out of focus. And then it, it, the guy went into how they all got in the room and tried to figure out how to fix it, and they couldn't find out how to fix it. And the guy took a shower, looked at his shower head and the water, and it came to him. And they figured out how to put a thing in there and had to, had to, had to put a real complicated fix. But anyway, got, when they took a picture of how big, they, they took a dark, a black spot in 
the sky where there was nothing under anything they had here on earth. There was nothing. It was black. And when they put the Hubble on it, there were tens of thousands of stars and moon and, and planets and galaxies, and they had no idea it was that big. That's how big your God is. Hey, he's big. I do not understand, and I do not comprehend. Like Doc said this morning, I cannot get my mind around how big God is. Shame on me for not trusting him. Shame on me for, for ever doubting him. Shame on me for ever fearing. Another subject, the six days of creation. It's not hard for me to believe that God said, let there be light, and there was light. The worldwide flood. They twist it. They rest it to their own destruction. You can't go anywhere in science, hardly, where they believe, except up there at the Creation Museum, a few other places, that they're going to believe that the whole world was flooded. I looked at uh, the Ludwigs. I said this before. The Ludwigs came out to the house, and, and there was a beautiful, beautiful, um, and folks, I think you folks had one in here uh, the other night, a beautiful rainbow. Somebody told me they looked the other night, and it was a rainbow, double rainbow. I've actually seen a triple rainbow. I don't know if that makes me special or not, but but I, I, I and it dawned on me, and I, though I've looked at the rainbow so many hundreds of times, it dawned on me what God was saying is, I'm not going to kill all of you at one time. That's nice. By water, I'm still going to locally flood you, but I'm not going to by water flood the whole earth. He puts a bow in the sky to remind him of that. I thought, oh, we serve a God. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of living God. That's what I think about when I see the rainbow. Or John, uh, jo Jonah and the great fish, or Jonah and the whales, it said. Man, that's disputed. That's twisted. The Tower of Babel. Huh. The crossing of the Red Sea. The old liberals say cross the Reed Sea. The Reed Sea is only six inches deep. Of course, how do you know how you drown a whole army of Pharaoh in six inches? That's a miracle beyond what the Bible even says. The uh, killing of all that breathe when they took the land of Canaan and said to kill everything that breathe. People, those people say, if that's a God, if that's the way God does stuff, I'm not going to serve Him. Uh, the big, a big one. Maybe this is one of the most disputed places of Scripture. Second Kings chapter two, verse twenty-four. Uh, the she bear that ripped the children for mocking Elisha. You remember that? Those kids, the 42 kids that got torn, 42 children came up and said, hey, and for all you bald people, this is for you. Hey, bald head! And old Elisha said, mm -hmm. you're violating something. And the she-bear came out of the woods and somebody said to me, well, if that's true, then I would never serve a God like that. You wish you would have. You will wish you would have. You'll beg for a time that you could have. Who are you to judge God, by the way? And they twist the scriptures. They rest the scriptures to their own destruction. How about the literal, bodily, visible return of Jesus Christ to the earth in Revelation chapter 19? I believe it's just going to be like he said it was. I believe in Zechariah chapter 12, chapter 14, is going to plant his feet on the Mount of Olives. It's going to split in twain. There's going to be a water come up out of that, go to the Mediterranean, going to go to the Salt Sea. Salt Sea, they're going to have fish in that thing again. It's going to be healed by those waters. 
and Jesus is going to set his throne up in Jerusalem. It's going to be a real throne. The real new Jerusalem is going to come down out of heaven and hover above that place, and Jesus, for a literal, real, 365-day, 1,000-year period, is going to rule and reign on this earth. Uh, it's going to be restored some. It's going to be encouraged some. And the people who get to come into that millennial period of time are going to have a long, elongated lives. They're not going to die at a at 89 or 90, they're going to live to maybe eight, nine hundred. In fact, a child that dies at a hundred, a person that dies at a hundred is going to be considered like a child. The wolf's going to lay with the lamb. The lion's going to lay with. Uh, they're going to play. A kid's going to play beside a lion, and going to play with a rattlesnake. It's real. It's going to happen just like it says. And if you're a, if you're saved here tonight, you're going to see it. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. It's a real place. I believe with all my heart that Jesus has prepared a dwelling place for me, and my wife will not be in it because it's for me. And if it was decorated the way she wanted, it would not be my place. You know that's true. It's going to be for me. Just me. It'll be the color Jesus wants and knows that I love. It'll be the style that Jesus knows. Wouldn't that be great? Kathy, she'll have a place. But it's going to be way closer to Jesus than I am. She'll say, you put up with that old boy all these years. God bless you. Come in. Enter into the kingdom. Don't interpret. Let me say this phrase. I said it years ago. Don't interpret the guts out of the Bible. Don't interpret the guts out of the Bible. Don't interpret the sting out of the scripture. If the scripture stings, it's supposed to sting. It's supposed to contradict you. It's supposed to rub you. It's supposed to mold you into the image of Jesus Christ. And that is not normal for our flesh. doesn't want that. In fact, our flesh cannot even go there. But the Spirit can. Be honest enough just to take it for what it says. Do and perform due diligence in studying the context and the grammar and the word definitions and historical interpretations. Don't just make something up that fits your own little private interpretation. And whatever you do, let it say what it says. Don't ever apologize for the Bible. I've heard preachers get up and say, well, this is, this is you know, don't, don't apologize for God's word. Let God, let God apologize. If God, somebody's going to apologize, let the Holy Spirit apologize for what he did, but he's not going to. Let it say what it says. And I'm going to tell you, at the end of your life, and some of you are at the end of your life, and you know this to be true, you're glad you lived for Jesus. You're glad you formed your life around this word. It's a sweet ending. It's a sweet ending. And God will carry you all the way through. The only thing in this room that's going to be eternal is your soul and the Bible. The Bible says the word of God is forever settled in heaven. It's going to be there. In fact, well, I believe it is in the, in the great white throne, the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. There's 66 books in this book. 
I think this book's going to be people who imagine them people who Madeline Murray O'Hare being judged in the great white throne. The books are going to be opened. And they'll be judged out of those things written in the books. If I'm going to be judged out of these things written in this book, I want to know what they say. Our Father, help us tonight to understand. May you mold us into your image. May you help us to be conformed unto thee. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about Jesus and the subject preached on, please contact us at gospel at mygbcs.com or call us at 239-947-1285. God bless.